this does sound like This American Life. <laughs> yeah. Act one, Rachel <laughs> on a podcast. First time podcast guest. But a long time wanted to be podcast guest <laughs> brought from me because like, especially now as we... As we get into the late, into the autumn of Infinity License, uh, the, one of the people that I've always wanted to have on was Rachel. To uh, everything, <laughs> turn, turn, turn. That's one of the songs. And then the other one is the, the from the John Oliver segment is the Jesus Christ bail bonds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to occasionally be called on to harmonize. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Rachel Fran is here. Uh, Rachel is a managing director at the Brooklyn Bail Fund, right? Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. Community Bail Fund. BCBF. Um, BCBF. Oh, you might actually work with people I know at yeah? Maimonides. I don't know. I know that we, we have a criminal justice program that um, uh. is invested in people that are in our Medicaid program that are moving into or out of Rikers. Cool. Um, so I buy, BCBF sounds familiar to me. Yeah, I don't know. maybe. And Seamus hey, is man. doing his thing. And I think Seriously. I might... Do you want to go to... He's going. Speaking of uh, Seamus, you're gonna need a you're gonna need a bail bond, a dog bail bondsman, because I'm about to put you in dog jail. Seamus, great. I got you, Seamus. Um, so you are joining us from the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund, um, and you've worked there for a couple of years, right? Three. Yeah. Almost exactly. I remember when you started. I know. It was like you knew me for so long. I've known you for so long. <laughs> I was thinking of like what what songs could like because we usually do like an intro song and that's what Brian was just referencing mm-hmm. and I was like okay the only song I have associated with you is like ooh you touch my tra la la because that was on some like mix that a bunch of you had so <laughs> oh that's horrifying nice anyway um so yeah, uh, so you've been there for three years, and uh, unlike Seamus, um, humans don't like to be in jail, and mm-hmm. therefore society has oriented itself to try to keep them in there as little as possible, and yet we have this system in which people are basically just imprisoned for having like somehow become justice involved, and it essentially doesn't make any sense, and I, I guess one of the things I kind of want to ask you at, like later on is like whether there's anyone like in favor of it, because I feel like in a lot of cases there's the need for activism against like entrenched interests. And I, I don't know if that's the case here, but uh, I um, can point to who's in favor of it. The billion dollar industry that's around <laughs> that's keeping right. bail bondsmen and like essentially the new payday loan <laughs> industry that like, uh, those people are super in favor of it. <laughs> like, they love it. Dog you know, the bounty hunter. I know. Super so, yeah, and the reality, I mean, that's even great. That's not even including the millions or millions from reality television. <laughs> that <laughs> like, now, yeah. That now is entirely devoted to propping up the legitimacy of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we were when we started to talk about this, I actually didn't really know that much about it. I think that bail to me was kind of like an intuitive concept. Probably the reason why it's still here is just inertia to a large degree. And so, what is what is bail? Can you summarize the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just started like I normally start all my teachings. What is bail? Maybe I'll ask you guys. What do you like? What do you think the purpose of bail is? That's a good question. I think that it's um, um it's attempting to get people to show up for court. I think, yeah, it's similar. I think it's a down payment on the idea that instead of me staying in jail, I'll just come back to get my money to, to not be in court. Or yep. to, not, to be in court, but not be in jail. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, right. In theory, bail is actually supposed to allow you to be free pre-trial. So it's a, it's a pre-trial mechanism that they ask for a certain amount of money, you put it down, uh, the court does, and then you come back to your court dates, your case is done, you get the money back. So, right, it's a financial incentive to return to court. Um, 
but yeah, not how it works in practice, not here in New York City and not nationally, right? Um, because most people can't actually afford the bail that is being set, even though they're supposed to, right? Um, you're supposed to be able to afford bail. And in New York, um, we have one of the most progressive bail laws on the books. It just doesn't actually play out that way in practice. But our bail law is really only supposed to be about whether or not someone's going to return. So if a judge feels like you're going to be able to return to court, they shouldn't be sending money bail on you at all. Um, and they also have nine forms of bail that they can set, money being one of them, so cash being one of them, and commercial bail bond being the other. But then there's you know several other options that don't require any sort of uh, financial means. One of them is like you can sign a piece of paper and, and then you get to leave and you've like signed the piece of paper that said you will return. So therefore you know, that they trust that you'll come back or I owe you one court appearance. Exactly. Right. <laughs> or you could have like, the, I heard that I, I tried to read some, uh, like I, I went on national review, uh, to see if I could find like, who's in favor of this shit. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, they were like, we could easily replace this with anklets. Everyone yeah. gets an anklet. <laughs> but then there was that story in the times article about the guy who got continuously charged. So they just marked up. There was like, Every time he took on and off the anklet because he had a disability and they yep. had to take it on and off, mm -hmm. that he got charged three hundred dollars. But so it was just like his debt was just getting racked up. And I was like surprised that like the bail bonds industry, like that Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan, hasn't gotten involved in this. And maybe they yep. are in a shadow way. But like mm -hmm. I was like, hey, they, like this seems like this shadowy kind of like snake snake oil way to like make a ton of money. But mm -hmm. like, um, but major yeah, insurance nuts. companies back it. I guess so that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. we're. Um, but yeah, right. There's all these replacements that are put forward that are also just wealth-based attention in different forms, you know, surveilling people in their homes through ankle monitoring or stuff like that. Um, yeah, just as shady and bad. I mean, the real question is like, do we need to be incarcerating people pre-trial? Um, like, or do, or do we need to be like, have some sort of mechanism? Are we that scared of people that they have to be held in before they've been convicted of anything, right? Because bail, all this is before you've been, you've seen a, you've had any sort of trial at all. Or like most times the prosecutor says, uh, you know, the people are not ready. And so you show up, you like take a day off work, you show up, you have to get childcare, you have to like afford the transportation to get there. You wait four hours to see the judge. And then the prosecutor is like, and eh, now we'll reschedule for next month and you have to do the whole thing over. So a lot of our clients on like misdemeanor charges, right? Really low level stuff end up having three to four to five to six court dates, one a month each each month in a row that like, you know, could have been resolved right back at their first date. And um, not to mention cuts into their earning capacity. Oh and yeah. Like all Can like, you take off six days of work? I mean, no, like just that's, that's yeah. what being in court is a full-time job based yep. on what I read. I was mm -hmm. like, this is ridiculous. And also those, a lot of those people, like you said though, is, are also in, do these people who are also in, in jail, if they can't afford, uh, mm -hmm. uh, bail because they, uh, committed a nonviolent crime. Like mm -hmm. that's, maybe I could see the justification of people that are like, being violent and need to be separated from society in that way. And that's the only justification I can see of this. But if you just didn't pay your parking tickets, which I have to do because I forgot <laughs> to pay my parking tickets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to just end up in Rikers because mm -hmm. you just like collapsed on what, what is a minor infraction. Mm -hmm. Did you see the thing that came out today that like a, some like undocumented woman paid a parking fine. And for that, they essentially, she came onto the purview of some agency and ICE deported or like they, she's now in custody yeah. <laughs> trying to do a civic like yeah. normal thing and then just yeah yeah I mean the criminal justice like justice system or criminal legal system in and the police in general are like the primary ways folks are now like being deported being you know entrapped into how then ICE is allowed to pick people up 
Um, is that a mo- is there a movement to replace that phrase criminal justice system with criminal legal system? Uh, it's just if you have a certain orientation towards the system, like when you don't believe justice happens there, like I do, and a lot of like you know folks who identify as abolitionists or people who want reform in some way, they'll call it the criminal legal system because that's what it does. It enforces like laws, right? And like, this is why I can never be a lawyer for a lot of reasons, mostly because I'm dumb. But um, the other reason why it would be hard for me to do the work that you do is that in reading the articles you sent and all that stuff is that, you know, lawyers and judges are rightly executing the law, which mm-hmm. is great. But a lot of times it's justice is not being served. They're like, okay, well, we understand like the intent of this, but we have to go by the letter of the law here. And there's the part of me that's so infuriated and frustrated. It's like, you know, this person was just like not like intentionally skirting the system or whatever, mm-hmm. or doing something that like warrants them being separated from society and completely made like useless by a, a, mm-hmm. a, a jail system that was like, Hey, um, it's a high like likelihood that you're going to encounter some kind of violence in this, in the system. Right. Uh, when previously you didn't out in normal society, drugs uh, or drugs or, or whatever it is like, and, or an, just an unhealthy living space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just frustrating that I'm like that, Lawyers and judges are just this separate part of society where they just, and they, they are beholden to uphold the law, which is what they do, but they don't, there's, there seems like very little wiggle room for them to understand like, like context or like, like the law is. There's gotta be a lot of discretion though, right? That a judge has. Yeah. In certain cases, I think also like understanding the ways in which the law is enforced and, um, is enacted upon like particular communities, right? Like smoking weed if i walked outside with a joint outside and we're in park slope right no one's gonna pull me over uh, but nope yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spoken as a, you know maybe somebody has in this room but has a, some experience with that <laughs> but like a black kid or like you know boy or girl in flatbush like they are right mm. um and i think that's like where some of this stuff is like, yeah, you're like judges and, and lawyers and like the police that are upholding stuff, but it's, it's wielded in really particular ways and against very particular people for reasons because the law and all of the, like the criminal legal system itself is built, you know, was built on slavery and built on sort of all of the, you know, everything our country has sort of been, um, I guess just reified over and over in different ways yeah. um, since then. I, reading, reading up on this topic uh, the last couple of days, I um, drifted into the Wikipedia pages for like the black codes and um, essentially just an attempt to criminalize black life so that they could mm-hmm. use the 13th Amendment's like, you know, clause that you can actually still be a slave if you. And then I was reading about, I emailed this to Brian last night that there was uh, a, used to be a, a phenomenon called convict leasing. Mm-hmm. Um, where essentially states would just loan out prisoners for, for their free labor and then collect money for it, yep. which is basically just like, identical to slavery. And uh, in 1898, Brian and I are very anti-South. You don't have to comment on that. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, Rachel's pro-society and in favor of all people, but we are anti-South. We're very anti. <laughs> and, and below the Mason-Dixon line, you really have to prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. To, to, like, I'm default assuming that you're like an unsuf- un, un you're a, yeah anti-progressive group. Yeah. And in 1898, the uh, 73 percent of the state of Alabama's revenue was from convict leasing. Like, even then, had, like, 20 years mm. after the Civil War, had failed to think of a different industry. Yeah. That's kind of like, it's it's kind of like the, the FIFA on loan program, actually. <laughs> Except in that case, they take a, a very uh, highly skilled um, person, person of color. Person, yeah, person they took from Africa and moved to England. Yes. <laughs> give them millions of dollars. Yeah. Them, except they got, yeah, millions there of dollars. There are negligible differences between those two things. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Wait, as an aside, do you remember when Hillary Clinton wrote in her memoir that, or someone tweeted, like, 
like a couple of screenshots of pages from her memoir. And it was like, yo, it really looks like she used to have slaves. Oh, and it was, <laughs> it was, they were pages about when she was living in the Arkansas governor's mansion and a lot of the domestic staff were inmates. Yeah. And she, the way that she recounted, and this book was written like w- as she was trying to run for president. And yet she phrased it as like, it was only natural that I was scared for me and my family, you know, to be around these men. And oh. it, <laughs> how, how did how did she lose? How did, how did how did black people not turn out for this election? I don't understand like how like a proportion they all showed up for Barack Obama, but for some reason like they didn't get to her website and read the four thousand page document or or but they did read the, the tweet that said, Hey, um we, we were scared of the people that committed crimes and then yeah. had, were forced to work in our house for years. Um yeah, under a somewhat dubious uh, legal system in my <laughs> and opinion. And it's crazy, like, just in terms of, like, how bail could persist that, you know, like, the idea of a chain gang, especially, I think, in the South, like, there's, that's an entire, you know, like, 15 years hard labor or whatever, you know, like, the, these concepts of what, of the total evisceration of rights once you become involved with the legal system are very natural to us in the more privileged castes. Um, I mean, like, as you've, like, thought about what, it what is indenturing the system like do you like philosophically what do you think stuff like that is that's like keeping us complacent with this yeah well i think right white supremacy racism is a huge part of it um i think it's also weird like a uh a fascination with with punishment um and um I don't think we know what to do with all of the pro like the social problems. Um, and the prison becomes a really easy place to put all that stuff. So like, you know, um, poverty and homelessness and mental health and drug addiction, like all of this stuff, like nobody wants to deal with it. And so like using the police and the prison as a place to, to hold all that, um, not to mention like our fears about the other, um, or about, you know, like, uh, you know, not having addressed the impact of slavery and racism, like all that can be like shoved into this, um, this carceral system. And, and that's like, and that's what you see when you work in the, in the courts, right? You're like the people being arrested are most of them, um, mental illness, struggle with mental illness, homelessness, poverty in some way. Um, Uh, it frustrates me at work because we, I work on a Medicaid program and of the the explicit idea of the program, New York State also being a very progressive medis- Medicaid state, um, and the, probably the most, ex- with the exception of maybe California, and a uh, most generous program with the most generous programs. At the same time, people are like struggling. They're like, well, we have to really get at the issue. The people who cost the most are these people with mental health issues that go in and out of both our hospital system and then go directly to either jail <laughs> or the court system mm-hmm. or like cycle between those three. And I'm like, well... They're like, how do we solve? Is it getting them more primary care appointments? I'm like, no. It's like this is a systemic, like, mm-hmm. large scale, like, mm-hmm. and it, the, to the credit of people I work with, they're trying their best with the means and the thing, the tools that we have at hand to do that. But at the same time, the frustration is like, no. Well, first we have to solve like systemic, nationwide and citywide poverty, and right. then like I guarantee you this problem will go away, will go away. Yeah. or at least drop precipitously or like change the way we treat not just move these people directly to jail mm-hmm. and then make their mental health problem worse but maybe right. expand the mental health system to be like okay like you can we can work with this and we can not put you in a system where it's probably going to exacerbate your whether it's schizophrenia or severe depression right. or anxiety and that kind of stuff yeah. and, there, and then of course that we all know that's been like you know the the total offloading of all of those types of problems 
onto um, the legal system, both in terms of like sending people to jail to get them like out of our way, but also just the way that like cops are deployed. The role that cops play in our society now is so much. Cops, cops are basically there to solve a lot of problems that society hasn't solved. Um, the same way that uh, jails are kind of collection bins for irresponsible disposal of those problems. So one question I had for you was, um, I am interested in the idea of prison abolition. And um, I feel like I don't know enough about it to really be like that on board with it. I feel like there's probably going to be some role for prison in a society. But like, how do you feel about it? And like, what is it? And what are the kinds of like arguments being made for it? Yeah. So I think I'd be interested to hear from you what you think the role the prison could be in any society. But um, yeah, so I think abolition deals with questions around dismantling and also building. Um, so like, how do you take down systems that are inherently violent and entrenched in, you know, uh, racism and economic disparities and all the bad isms that we want to think about? Um, and then how do you build, you know, a world in which um, we can actually talk about what harm happens and then how do you address that harm to hold folks accountable and then also to repair um, people who have been hurt? Because that's, in the end, like what the criminal justice system is supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be, you know, bad shit happens. There's a social harm um, or someone gets hurt or hurt someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to address what that is and you want to, like, make sure it doesn't happen again. And then you also want to make sure that... Um, the victim or the person who it happened to gets the help that they need. But none of that happens in the current criminal legal system. I mean, I mean, we can also say it's, it's not designed to do that, even if that's what we all like sort of talk about it doing, right? Like keeping us safe. Well, it doesn't actually keep any of us safe. And so abolition is about thinking about how do we do that? Um, how, what are the ways um, that do that? That's not cages for people. Um, that doesn't further exasperate harm on, on individuals, families, communities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that like the role of like to answer that question, like even Norway has prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, does anyone even talk about jail as like a uh, a place for healing or like? Well, no one talks well, about that think, anymore. And I'm curious what mm-hmm. you have to comment on how we've just creeped back into this de- debtor jail kind of system, and if you could comment on that because also not only have we enabled a system where it's like you're financially punished just for for maybe not even potentially committing a crime but also the bond companies are unable to this one bond company detained this uh this guy who was accused of a crime several times according to court records at one point two men with guns and bulletproof vests came to home to the home where he was working as a contractor and forced him into the car and each time they demanded that his mother pay that his mother pay more money so they're just literally shaking people down committing like they're just the mafia like but for the prison system instead of just like shaking people down for like gambling debts or something yeah like i mean the commercial bill bonds like system is wild um it's wild like we're the only country besides the philippines that is allowed to have or that has it because it's like so it's it's like think about slavery right it's like paying paying money to a for-profit industry to they make money off of getting people out of jail right out of like um people's freedom (laughs) like we we all know where that comes from right um and yeah i mean i think so in like in new york um so not only one thing about them is they have a huge lobby, right? They like have a huge pack and, and so have a lot of political power, um, which is important because it stymies any sort of like bail reform happening. It's why we still have a bail system, right? Um, and then also like on face value, so the bail bond industry, you know, um, 
your if if my loved one gets arrested and bail is set on their on them, um, I then go to a bail bondsman and have to pay the bondsman you know ten percent of money of the bond. So if the bond is you know twenty five hundred dollars, I have to pay the bondsman two hundred and fifty. Uh, that's money I'll never get back. Um, and then, you know, the person gets released and they have to do all these check-ins with the bondsman. And then, and so on face value, right? Like I'm still paying a non-refundable thing to get my person out of jail, um, uh, through a for-profit company that this company just gets to take. That's just like, if they go by the books, but none of them go by the books. Like they take, um, huge chunks of money on top of that off of off people, right? They like charge all these fees that they're not allowed to. They're not at all regulated. There's no transparency around like what they do and people are in totally in crisis. So they're willing to pay whatever. Um, and so it's like in New York City, like between 20 and $22 million a year that they siphon from the most low income communities here because those are the folks who are getting arrested and getting bail set. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's just it's totally a bonkers thing, which is like why no one, no other country has it. <laughs> yeah, we we join a lot. Of, we there's a lot of things like that. They're like, <laughs> we should actually. I mean, th- that's not that far away from like Duterte style justice. Like, <laughs> yeah, just do it. Why don't just shoot him? Just like you hear that. By the way, Duterte got in an argument with God recently. Yeah, because <laughs> he apparently was the victim of. Uh, he was. I think he was molested by a Catholic priest when he was young, and. Um, he uh, like frequently hands out a book ab- that's like very anti-Catholic church, hmm. and he recently was quoted. A big deal in the Philippines, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And he was recently quoted as saying, "Like, who is this God? He must really be some stupid son of a bitch to allow all the suffering." Yeah, which is a funny way to pose that philosophical question. <laughs> yep, anyway. like the, the freshman philosophy one hundred and one question class. And it's like, well, if God exists, why do bad things happen? Yeah. Like, so let's not be Rodrigo like Duterte. Duterte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've said it before here, but like, what is going on in Rikers Island in the? in the bounds of this mm-hmm. city that we live in is a human rights violation mm-hmm. by any standard. If mm-hmm. the UN can't walk, the UN not far away, like human rights, <laughs> mm-hmm. like people walked over there and mm-hmm. saw what was going on. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, this is an absolute crime against humanity. And this mm-hmm. place should be shut down immediately. Mm-hmm. Like this is uh, like insane. And, but, I, <laughs> and yeah. And, and also like, I, I like the idea of saying it like they're siphoning that much money out of the economy because if you, even from like a technocratic high level point of view, there's no way that you would ever find a utility for a program that takes m- that much money out of a layer of society that should be being seeded with capital, mm-hmm. yeah, like, which is crazy. I mean, we're all ta- we're talking about it now, obviously, but it is also, I mean, all the stats you read. If you see that, like that documentary, the Thirteenth, you're talking about like how violent crime is down. Well, crime in all sectors t- tends to be down, but we have a higher prison population now than we ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that case, the system, the inertia of the system, has carried to a point of where it's just like, mm-hmm. well. Uh, we have low, we have lower crime, but we have more prisoners, and we have more more people separated from society. So, like, some at some point, this has got to break. Like, mm-hmm. Do you see a breaking point of this anywhere? Or like, what? Like, I hope so. Um, <clears throat> I think it it takes a lot. Like, it takes a lot of organizing and awareness and folks to like. Um, we have to close jails and prisons. Too many exist, and if they exist, they're going to be filled. Um, and that's part of the, like, that's sort of, I think, along the lines of what you were saying, of, like, the machine can will continue to churn as long as it, like, has places to put folks. Um, we, we, like, had a panel um, a couple years ago that we had a judge sit on, and he used to be a cop in New York City in, like, the 90s and talked about how... Um, that if you ever arrested someone for smoking weed, like literally people would, everyone would laugh at you because it was just like you, you crime then 
and I mean, this is coming from a cop and a judge, but like was a much bigger, like there was real shit happening. People mm-hmm. were getting killed. Right. And so you were the cop, the police force was supposedly like, that's, that's what they were um, concerned with. He's like, and now like most of the people that they're locking up for, for, you know, like drug crimes and weed and stuff, because they built a police force that grew and grew and grew. And then a, a court system to handle like large quantities as if there was a lot of crime and now they don't know how to take it back. And this is like one of the head judges in, in uh, Brooklyn. That does, I mean, that kind of strikes you every time you hear the canard of like, why aren't they out there catching the real criminals? It's like, well, they're not set up to do that. It's not like you're mm-hmm. going to send some beat cop whose mm-hmm. most of his training is how to like fuck with teenagers right? Um, to go like put on a trench coat and become like a detective, <laughs> you know, and like catch high level, yeah. like, you know, and then give him to Cyrus Vance, who's going to decline yeah. to prosecute him, yeah, like uh, yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you were talking about the, this, I mean, the black codes, right, of arresting people for like ways of living. Well, that's what broken windows policing is. It's about how people walk down the street and what they, you know, um, what you can make an argument for stopping them, what supposedly you find in their pockets, riding your bike on the sidewalk, all that kind of stuff. Were you doing this work in New York City before Stop and Frisk ended? Um, no. But I would say that it's not over. Like, it's still... Really? I, l- plenty of folks that I inter- paid bail for and so therefore talked to soon after they were arrested um, were stopped by the cops in ways that are exactly through stop and frisk. They ju- the cops just find a different... Either it doesn't get mentioned on the record and no one believes the kid or, you know, they, they find a, a way to... Um, so, like, you know, they can't search you unless they know you have, like, drugs on you. So let's say something like empty your pockets or put your hands in your pockets, take your hand out. And if there's something in it, they can then, you know, do, so they find ways around it that like technically don't qualify stop and frisk. But of course it is. You're like, you're sitting on the you, subway. How about you frisk yourself? Yeah. For yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> walk and frisk. Yeah. yeah. It's like the Aaron Sorkin version of stop and frisk. <laughs> the, the, the walking frisk. Yep. The camera's following in the whole way. <laughs> how um, much role do you think there is for like a technocratic solution to this? I mean, like, do you think that, um, like, you know, broken windows, these are all high level things that are kind of prescribed on like in an academic way and they can be tested and they can be made empirically real, but they're ultimately policies are decided by like people on the street and these elected officials that nobody really knows who they are. Do you think that if there was more of a presence of like academia in policy setting, this stuff would be more liable to change? Mm, I don't think so (laughs) um well it's not that it wouldn't it wouldn't like i don't think it would necessarily hurt it but i do think we have like a lot of data and research that shows us the right things to do right like invest in communities (laughs) like give people jobs and like crime will go away like we know these like these things are proven right we have there's plenty of studies that have been done that that do this and that do inform policy um, and this like might just be like my approach and where I come from, from coming from like an organizing background. Like I more see it as like, what are the mechanisms that like the community has to be holding like their, the criminal legal system accountable. Right. And to be, to be holding, um, to, for, first of all, to be informed about what's happening and then also to be making sure it's doing the way, like doing the things we want it to be doing if it's purporting to keeping us to be keeping us safe and to be acting on our behalf, right? Because like everything that happens in the criminal legal system is done on behalf of the people. Um, 
And so therefore, like it should be, we should have a lot more investment um, and uh, there should be more like grassroots sort of accountability mechanisms in place to ensure that that's, that it is doing those things. And it sucks that like the, so much of the, the way that the justice system is set up is to deliberately insulate us exactly. from ever having to care because we c- it can be the worst, the most that, that I will ever feel or have ever felt about like prison the concept of that is there but for the grace of god go i Mm -hmm. it would something would have to go terribly wrong for that to happen and therefore it's totally easy for me i mean people feel that way about health insurance Mm -hmm. and we're all gonna need health insurance it's it's even you know how many more times the case when it's something that you likely will never have to encounter as a privileged person Mm -hmm. i mean yeah i guess i wouldn't wouldn't want to rule it out i think it's like uh, the like carceral machine and like all of its tentacles. There's so many, like, it's like, I can't even imagine what it would mean to, cause like you said, like it, it really, like the practice gets played out by like the people on the ground. Um, so like policies come from on high or there could be someone in charge, but then like, there's so many people that are, that are implicated that actually, and there's so many different agencies that run stuff, right? Like there's the NYPD, which does its own thing. And then there's like the, OCA which is like what runs the court building and then there's like DOC which runs the jail all of these these three agencies interact and they're all run by different people with different um I don't know it'd be I think it'd be hard <laughs> and the guy who was recently running uh was it no not the department of corrections but he was the head of the corrections officers union um <sighs> he got he got hit up on a pretty pretty big corruption charge yep. and I only know this because he was formerly the voice of like he would do ads on the on the <laughs> on the Mets broadcast on the Mets radio broadcast and it's like they poli- we police the hardest section of New York City <laughs> the jails and then it's like then it had to get replaced by Howie Rose doing it because that guy Got, like got like got got, got in a do you know, corruption do you know what scandal. He did? Do you, uh, I don't he, I, I I don't know what he did. I should have looked it up beforehand, but I just I just realized this as we were talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty hilarious. Oh. And now the guy's probably in the criminal justice system, or probably is probably skirted no, no, it somehow. It's probably a, yeah, yeah, he, he knew how to get out of somehow there. his bail got waived. I yeah, wonder how. Yeah. Um, what do people your clients come to you for? I mean, like, are you providing like advice, like tactical advice, so if they need to post bail, like don't do this, wait a day, or like what what is the nature of your counseling? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, we, so we actually post bail. That's like what we do. We're a charitable bail fund. So, um, usually what will happen is someone's public defender will email us right when, when bail is set. So the person, you know, just saw the judge and the judge is like, you know, $500 bail. Um, we'll get like a text or email from the public defender and come down and literally hand over them, hand over the money. So the person doesn't have to go to Rikers. Um, and yes, we're a charity, right? So we don't, we don't, Obviously, no one pays us back for anything. We just ask that folks come back to their court dates, um, and we give reminders for court dates. Just we text people or call them or Facebook message them. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, wh- whatever see, their preferred contact method. I, I see the bail charity has moved into the 21st century. Yeah. Oh yeah, we are very agile. <laughs> Can you imagine getting media. that Facebook message? Like, Go to court. <laughs> all all it's the time. Like a, it's like an emoji. <laughs> just. <laughs> well, and. Um, and yeah, and then once people make their court dates, we get the money back. I mean, this is like what I think a powerful thing that bail funds show, but another reason why sometimes I'm like, oh, data, because bail funds have always shown that we don't actually have like a failure to appear problem. People come to their court dates. 95% of our clients make all of their scheduled court appearances and they have no financial incentive to do so. So like they get a reminder from us, but we're not hunting them down. Mm. Is the implication, because I saw that in a number of the statements about why bail is pretty unnecessary because there's not that high of a 
like departure. What do you call it? Like a failure to show. Failure right? to appear. Yeah. Yeah. And the implication is that the legal consequences are just enough, right? Mm-hmm. Right. People want to make their court dates. Like, you know, and certainly, you know, if people are being arrested for jumping a turnstile, they don't have funds to then, like, fly to Mexico. To, <laughs> to yeah. like... uh, you didn't have the 250 to ride the subway from, from Fordham Road to 42nd Street. Uh, but he does somehow have access to, yeah. like, to a flight to Buy a country with no extradition. identity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think when people do miss their court dates, which does happen, it's usually because they're like, fuck, I can't take off work again, or like, I don't have childcare, or I like, I can't afford the train ride, or like, a taxi. Uh, this is a stupid question, but why do people have to go to court? Like, what is the reason you have uh, someone representing you? Mm-hmm. So, what's the reason that, that they want it's you to go? a good court? question, because often you go there and nothing. Happens. I mean, I think the idea is that, like, if you're there is going to enter into, like, a plea or your case is going to get resolved, that you should be there to agree to it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it, right. I think especially for the amount of times they make you come back for cases, it's why people take guilty pleas all the time. Because um, they're like, fuck it, I'm not coming back yeah. for another court date. I'd rather take the misdemeanor. And, like, yeah, there's so, like, structurally, there's no more, you already have such an incentive to show up because if you don't, which I think there are, are there, is there any kind of criminal court that d- doesn't require you to be present for it? Um, sometimes when you're like in jail, they'll, um, they'll be like, they'll waive your appearance. If you can't go to court because yeah. you're in, already in jail. Okay. Yeah, but like, Great. that's the time when you do have time to go to court. Like, yeah. like no, I'm not they're, doing anything. I'm like, the... didn't want to transfer you. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, usually you have to be, if anything's going to substantially happen, you have to be there. Okay. Well, maybe I don't. I don't know. I I could. I'm sure someone could easily convince me about why the need to appear in court for a criminal hearing is necessary. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you're only hurting yourself if you're not there to present. Right. You know, or like, especially if you're a public defender. What is the state of public defenders right now? Is it like a glaring issue that needs to be improved, or are they generally doing an okay job? Well, yeah. So I think um, I think like across the board you know, public defender agencies are under-resourced, right? They're just like, it's like our public schools. Like, these are places that, you know, people um, don't get paid a lot, and then they have huge caseloads that they just don't have time to do. So there's, like, those real structural things. And then there's... Overworked, underpaid, under-resourced. Totally, totally. And I think in, like, New York, we're, like, you know, when I talk to comrades across the country, right, not everyone gets a public defender right away when they're arrested. Whereas in New York, you, like, you get a public defender. Um, but lots of places you just don't. And so you sit in jail until you do, which can be months. So those are whole other issues there. Um, but yeah, so like here we, like the folks, I, the public defenders I work with, like most of whom are like super motivated, well-intentioned, good people who are under-resourced. Um, and then you have some people who like legit suck, who are just like bad public defenders so they don't care um and they're also like they do get paid by the system um but i, I talked to bill funds in other places across the country who struggle much more with their public defenders they don't want to work with them they don't care about getting their clients out of jail stuff like that i've uh, met a bunch of people that work at the federal defenders in, in brooklyn mm-hmm. and yeah they're very like smart committed passionate mm-hmm. like mission driven people mm-hmm. that I'm sure I could totally imagine like the public defender in some random jurisdiction in New Mexico is not Mm going to be that like Mm -hmm. civic minded. This is like the job they could get or something. So I could, it makes sense that it's a very like diverse experience with them. Mm -hmm. Do you think training the police and maybe even public defenders or the the people of the system, training them up to have a more zoomed out view would have kind of like any long-term impact or. Uh, Yeah. It's like all this stuff. I don't think, um, 
none of it could hurt. I just don't think it's going to end up solving it. Like I still think systemically the problems are there. Right. And so like there needs to be a much more thorough train, like training or like small sort of tinkering reforms aren't going to be the thing that like revolutionizes it. But is there a, a competing to um, like highest level solution to the abolition movement? Um, or like it's pretty much everyone that's in the space like gunning for long term like they want abolition. No, I would say most people like I mean a lot of folks I work with because they're organizers and abolitionists are like you know gung ho there. But there's a lot of folks who just want some types of reforms, right? I mean like in the bail space. <laughs> Literally any improvement over this like 500 <laughs> yeah. year old system that doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, like in, yeah for bail, right? You have folks who. Um, want to get rid of wealth-based detention. So they're like, okay, let's get rid of money bail. So the idea that you have to put up money to be free, but let's introduce like a risk assessment tool because that we can like, it's a subjective tool that we can look at um, that scores people. And then that will decide whether or not someone is, you know, incarcerated pre-trial or released. Typical right? liberal means testing. I was just thinking <laughs> like that, that sounds like even worse. Because in, in, when I was reading yep. the conservative guy, he was like, we're going to have to find something else, either anklets or some sort of algorithm that the mm-hmm. judge gets. It's like, holy Christ. I cannot imagine a Terrifying, worse thing right? than an uh, algorithm deciding. Yeah. If algorithms start deciding that we go to jail, <laughs> I'm going to be in jail tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. that's the thing. You may never go to jail in that case because yeah. of your demographic. Yeah. That's true. My credit rating is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's what's scary is like algorithms are being introduced everywhere. They're not they um the Arnold Foundation, you know, has this PSA, um, pretrial services something algorithm. Um which is, yeah, it's a risk assessment instrument. Um, and so it's become like the new fight on the in the bail reform scene of like pushing against them being introduced, but then also once they do to be like, well, if you're going to have that tool, it has to do all of these things. And the first one being it has to let people out of jail. Like it has to be decarceral. Um, and if it's not decarceral, then like get this tool out of here because like what's the point? It's going to end up – I mean Washington, D.C. doesn't have money bail. They have a – pre-trial service and the same they have a risk assessment tool and the same amount of people are locked up so it's like okay so it's just the same thing (laughs) um if we're trying to like get people out of jail then um we should not be doing that and jersey uses a tool as well but they were intentionally at the beginning about it um being decarceral so it led to more people getting out but that's the thing it's a tool so like it can do whatever you want so like whatever the political movement once. <laughs> Have you heard of the uh, the situation in Cook County where apparently they are allowed to just keep your bond? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, what they do, well, at least what I know from folks who work at the bond fund there, or what I've heard, and also like growing up in Chicago, it's like, oh my god, everything's a mess. Um, but uh, so yeah, so if you're able to afford your bail, they then take they take the money to like pay your pay your attorney they'll like they keep it and then you don't get it back because you know you're supposed to get your bail money back once you make all your yeah. dates but then they take it to use it for your like other fees even though you didn't know that that anyway so you essentially pay something that you're expecting to be refundable and then they just this the judge can just unilaterally decide to keep it yeah they're like oh jk you're not poor then so therefore we're <laughs> going to keep it so to pay the fees that like 
the, so the state doesn't yeah. have to. That is the state. That is essentially like a summary of Chicago like yeah. machine politics. Yeah. Oh my God. We don't want to pay it. You can pay it. It's like, wait, I can't pay it. We pass these savings on to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the uh, person being accused of a crime. Now, you know, I, I actually, one of my first ever introductions to um, bail reform came from a very unenlightened ex-City of Chicago cop who, this guy was... He, I, I've heard him recount. Uh, he, he was a new um, cop in 1967 um, or 68, whenever the Martin Luther King riots were. 68. So then he was there for the and, Democratic and exactly. Convention, too. He, yeah. I heard this guy uh, sharing memories of that was his first like summer on the job. He said, I was a size 28 waist. They had to give me a special like belt. You know, and he, his memory of the riot, the 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 Democratic National Committee, was like he was like, uh, what do you call it? It was like uh, these video games. They just gave us like a cheap plastic helmet, a cheap plastic shield, and a baton, and just yeah, he like, would just go whack just, hippies. Yeah. Like he, he was like, it was just an open battlefield day. Like, and then, and this is not funny, but it's ridiculous. He was then recounting the riots on the West Side, and he mm-hmm. said that. The way that he put it was like, yeah, you'd be up there with a, with a shock or like a, a rifle on top of a building. You'd shoot out a window and watch Leroy scatter. <laughs> it was great. Oh, he my brought God. His, he brought his neighbors with their guns to the rooftop to join in the fun. They're just like shooting. That's why whenever you hear about like how like the West Side got destroyed after mm-hmm. Martin Luther King like got killed, it's like a lot of that destruction was probably done by cops, cops. literally, yeah, as, as this warfare. guy <laughs> recounted himself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, from that source came my first introduction to how shitty the bail system was because he used to talk about how the judge would essentially assign you a bail, a bond bailsman. Mm. Wait, uh, is that a bond? Bail bondsman? Bail bondsman. Bail bondsman. But is that someone, is that an official or is that someone who's going, like, the private? The private ones. Yeah. Yeah. The, the judge would assign, um, I think sort of informally, would assign defendants to one, essentially saying, go to him and you stand a much better chance of this out. Like, that's so fucked up. And yeah. then in addition to the fact that it's still legal for the city of Chicago to just keep your bail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of st- states that are stealing, um, <laughs> hasn't G- Governor Cuomo did actually propose some kind of bail reform recently. Um, uh, yeah, so in his budget in January, he introduced bail reform, but it was shitty. Right. Um, and so Typical Cuomo, where it makes he gets a headline for it. It's like, yeah, he re- reform. So we put bail reform or legalized medical marijuana. It's like uh, only in a pill form and yeah. only in a way that like a pharmaceutical company can make money off of it. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. like, so I imagine that his his proposed reforms are similar. Yeah. The, yeah, it like got rid of money bail for really small, like a really small grouping of charges, and then it, it like institutionalized electronic monitoring, wealth like that you have to pay for, and all this bad stuff. So. Um, lots of advocates, you know, pushed very much against and then pushed for much more um, transformative bail reform legislation to get introduced during the session, which it did, um, which was great. But it just this year wasn't the time for it to pass. Hopefully next year, which would be. Yeah, um, it'd, it'd be funny right. if like all these people that were Democrats that are actually <laughs> Republicans who, yeah. who, who were voted out and if maybe a certain other governor who likes to pretend he's a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wonder if that would, uh, would happen. But yeah. uh, I don't know. Who that, who's that? Who am I to say? Yeah. I just have a podcast. Vote <laughs> in, the, in the fall. In the, in the primary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're, we're very pro Cynthia. Squad okay. over here. I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. I've gone to a lot of events. I'm sorry, I don't mean to put 
Like I, I assume Lenny I, well, is. It, the, the joke of this is that we both went to her launch party. I don't know what, what you're unclear about. Where that's I stand on the Cuomo versus Cynthia Nixon thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that was a fun time. It was good. Yeah, uh, we did a podcast episode about it. Um, the last question I want to ask you, just to kind of close out, is like I just want to hear about like your like kind of what brought you to this and what the what, what your kind of like long term outlook is in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I view you as like an activist. I would kind of bucket you in there, mm-hmm. but I think that activism is might be one of those things where like if you're if you do it a long term, it's no longer it's it's just a career at this mm-hmm. point. So like, mm-hmm. do you consider yourself an activist? And like, d- does it at some point transition into becoming just like a one day after another type thing? Yeah, it's hmm. a good question. I mean, I think yeah. I mean, I don't feel burned out. I would say that. Um, things feel hard and like bad in the world. (laughs) Um, but I think like my work allows for it to feel for there to be hope. And like, I think a lot of that is because I do, you know, um, more than activism, it's like, uh, community organizing, right? Like working with folks to build community power. Um, and, uh, and that feels like, yeah, that feels empowering (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, I came to the work, like I came to the bail space because, uh, like through my work in d- divinity school, I became an abolitionist and, uh, or decide that was an orientation of how I wanted to like understand the world. Cause I do believe it's like a framework of thinking about how things can be taken down and how things can be rebuilt and how you do that on an everyday level. Um, and the bail fund being a really cool place where I could be getting literally getting folks out of jail, like paying bail to get them free, but then also working towards abolishing the money bail system. Um, and I get to do like work, um, along that spectrum or along different tactics, community tactics to, um, lead towards abolition, like on a daily basis. And that's, yeah, that's like really fun. Um, and hard, but it's like, it's, it's fun. And it like feels like there are wins along the way, even when like, especially nationally, things feel so like, uh, what the fuck is happening? Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think that I do have a lot of, I think it's probably also a testament to the organization you work for must be good. Mm -hmm. You probably have good colleagues and some of that. Mm -hmm. Cause I think a lot of nonprofits can get bogged down in what Lenny described too, where they have a good intention, but it's like, it really becomes just kind of like, Day in and day out. Yeah, day in, day out. And you also feel a little bit of a Sisyphusian struggle against an impossible system. Yep. Um, But that is, I think it's you using the term abolition. I didn't even think of abolition of the Mm -hmm. prison system. Mm -hmm. But like my context, I think of abolition, I think of slavery, Mm -hmm. slavery, right? Mm -hmm. But there was a time when people were like, you can't just abolish slavery. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, like, Mm -hmm. so, but we had, I mean, Honestly, the current system we have is an extension of that, so maybe yeah. it hasn't been fully abolished. And there's certainly people not necessarily in chattel slavery mm-hmm. right now, but there are people in slavery in the world encouraging using that kind of vocabulary. I think is even just like a really cool way to do some kind of praxis. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think to just like get somebody out like me who's obviously anti mm-hmm. unjust cr- criminal mm-hmm. justice system, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think it's like it's still that same question of like what's the harm, and then how does it get repaired. And if we like really think seriously about that and about things that we feel keep us safe, like if I think about things that keep me safe, I don't think of the police or like times where I feel safe. I don't think of the police. I don't think of the prison. Right. Um, and so I think if we like actually took the time to really seriously devote 
energy and resources to answering those questions, um, we would come up with something different than the prison. Um, yeah. I don't know. Cool. You know what I thought of? We so can imagine. We can imagine a future without prisons. <laughs> we'll start tomorrow. We are having it. Yeah, so tomorrow. Um, this is not semi-related, only related to being afraid of the police. But yeah. somebody had a brilliant idea that I was talking to this weekend. Where is that? Like some, they think some people are putting Blue Lives Matter stickers on their car just so they don't get tickets. And I was like, that is actually the only justifiable reason to have a Blue Lives Matter sticker on your car. I was like, that is that's better than a PBA card yeah. right there. That's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It, uh, that is you're literally flying a flag. Uh, For real. Uh, I love that tactic. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, I guess we could leave it there. Um, we've solved the issues. We're, there's no more problems. Is that what you guys do every week? Yeah. We yeah. Just, just solve issues. Uh, Rachel, yeah. as you've noticed, America has been completely fine <laughs> since we started this it's podcast. It's been getting yeah. better, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, I, we, I don't mean to say this, but I know it's a loaded term, but we are literally making America great again <laughs> <laughs> with, our, with our voices. Um, uh, Rachel Fran. Thank you for coming on here and Thanks talking to us. Thanks for having me. Would you like to do a last second plug for anything you're interested in or anything you're working on right now? Well, um, if folks want to get their own perspective of the criminal legal system and how it works, you can come join Core Watch NYC, which is a program we run with a couple other organizations um, in Brooklyn and Manhattan, which puts New Yorkers in the courtroom. And you record stuff, and then we tweet about it, and we blog about it, or you do it as 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 the watchers. Um, we should yeah. do this. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally awesome. Wait, so is the yeah. point to have like an observer, like uh, the way that like lawyers will observe an election? Yeah, yeah. So it's I, I, I like sort of use those terms of like community accountability. This this is what this project is. It's it's around DA accountability. So DAs made all these promises, or Cy Vance and Brooklyn DA Gonzalez um, when they were elected last year found being all progressive and shit um and so we started court watch to like make sure they do what they said they would which they don't as it turns out surprise <laughs> really side vans didn't deliver <laughs> on a promise <laughs> get out of town yeah and so we we are like outputs are like twitter and a blog because we do like real time sort of accountability work um around the shit that they said so if y'all are interested our trainings are rad they're four hours but it's like political and legal education um and also like community building and then you sit and watch shifts and fill out data forms and stuff I do that that's cool yeah. we should definitely do, Let's this. do that yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. all right cool Anyone who's listening right now, August 18th, please come out to our live show at Bluebird on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. It's going to be August 18th at 7 p.m. It's going to be drinks, probably food, lots of fun people, and a live show. And we'd love it for any of our listeners out there. We don't care if you're from Tajikistan or Brooklyn or other parts of Brooklyn or maybe the few people we know in Queens and Manhattan. Please come to Bluebird on August 18th at 7 p.m. And we'll have a great time. All right. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, guys.